The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, hey, good morning. How's everyone doing? Happy New Year. All right. We got some 2020 fans in here. That's great. Hey, if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Okay, you didn't put them on paper. How many of you have some type of resolution in your heart and say, okay, this year is going to be a little different, right? This year is going to be a little different. I'm going to change this. I'm going to tweak this. I'm going to transform. I'm going to flip this upside down. This didn't work for me. Uh, and so a lot of times we, we make uh, these resolutions. We make these promises. And, and, and sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. But I hear like 95% of all promises that you make to yourself at the beginning of the year and things you're going to shift uh, don't work out. 95%. That means 5% of you uh, will actually keep uh, your promise to yourself. And so good job. I know that this is going to be a little different service for us. And so before we get into 2020 or this entire new decade, I want to kind of set the stage with what you and I are needing ultimately uh, to persevere. And so it's going to start in John chapter 15 in verse 1. This is red letter, which means this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Listen to this. For apart from me, you can do what? Some things. Apart from me, you could do a lot of things. Apart from me, you could do a few things. No. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Consider that. Make these plans. Today or tomorrow, we'll go here, do this or that. This year's going to be different. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you are totally paralyzed. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're completely paralyzed and you can do nothing except maybe, maybe talk. Now, I want you to imagine that, that, a, that a strong and reliable, trustworthy friend came to you and made a promise to you, and, and he promised to take care of you and, and to do for you whatever it was that you needed done. Let me ask you, how would you honor that friend? 
I mean, how would, you, how would you glorify that friend? How would you make much of that one strong and kind friend who would come and take care of you? How would you honor and glorify the friend if, if maybe uh, uh, someone came to visit you? How would you honor and glorify that friend if a stranger came and knocked on your door and wanted to visit with you? Would you honor him by attempting to stand up yourself, answer the door? Would you honor him by by trying to get out of bed and, and lift him up? No. You would say, friend, could you come get me? Would you, would you come and, and sit me in, in my chair? Would you, would you please come and, and maybe put a, a pillow behind my head so I, could, so I can see my guest? And, and maybe, maybe, maybe get my glasses and, and push them up on my face so that I can, I can actually see clearly. In watching this, your guest and your visitor would conclude from your continual asking and your continual request that ultimately you are helpless, but your friend here, they're strong. And your friend is oh so kind to take care of you. You realize that you glorify your friend by needing him. You glorify your friend by calling upon him, by asking him for help, and trusting that he would be faithful enough to come to you and take care of you and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The truth is that Jesus is teaching us that we are totally paralyzed, that we are totally incapable of any type of Christ-exalting good, any type of prosperity in our life, any type of, of, of resolutions, that, that we are totally incapable of doing anything that is worthy of praise of Christ. And, and, and so here's what I need, need you to know. I need you to feel this. As a church, we believe this. Romans seven eighteen. it says, nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. How much good is in me? Nothing, Paul says. Nothing is good, meaning apart from Christ, we can do no Christ-exalting work. Not as a husband, not, not as a wife, not as a father, not as a coach, not as a pastor, not as a church. There's nothing we can do that would honor Christ apart from Christ. We believe that it is God's intentions to open our eyes to see our desperation in this time. But I also believe it's God's intentions for us to produce much Christ-exalting fruit. So how can someone who is completely paralyzed, completely desperate, also then bear much fruit? It's Jesus. It's all through Jesus. It says, He who abides in me and I am him, it is he who bears much fruit. 
So as Jesus is our strong and reliable friend, John 15, 15, later on in the chapter, he calls us friend. Jesus promised to do for us and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. And then the question then is, how then do we glorify Christ in this? Look in verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, what's that next word? Ask. 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 If you abide in me and my words abide in you, just ask. Ask what? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so how do we glorify our infinitely strong and infinitely kind and infinitely sustaining Lord? We pray. And we pray. And we pray and we ask without relenting We pray and we ask for every little pillow and every little eyes to see and every little thing that would get us out of bed and every little thing that would move us closer to glorify him. We ask, we abide and we pray. We abide and we ask. We ask and we abide. We're trusting that Jesus, our good friend, is strong and kind and will meet us in our desperation. We ask God to do through Christ what we cannot do for ourselves, namely, bear fruit. So what is the result of our abiding? Look in verse 8. By this, by this asking, by this coming, by this abiding, biding and asking, biding and asking, by this, bearing fruit, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so to prove to be my disciples. The moment we understand that desperation is given to us and it is a means of grace, the moment we stop and we realize that we are paralyzed, the moment we pray is the very moment we admit that without Christ we can do nothing. I think sometimes that's why our prayer journeys are like roller coasters. You know what I mean? Is because there's times that I, I believe a lie that, that I start to believe that I can actually do something. And so I stop praying, I stop looking, I stop seeking because I'm strong. But the Bible tells me, no, when you're weak, then you'll be strong. Christ is our strength. Prayer is the turning away of self-reliance. Prayer is turning away from self-sufficiency and turning to God. Prayer is the confidence that, that our strong and faithful provider will provide what we need. And so, listen, and Sarah already told you, this is going to be a very special service for us because in our time together, I, I want us to take a moment, I want us to humble ourselves and become desperate and complete, complete dependent upon God. And we're going to ask God to work and move in our lives for the glory of his name and for our good. And so in just a moment, we're going to stop. And we're going to take some time and we're going to pray together. And we're going to ask God, uh, be desperate for God, and ask God to somehow move and prop us up and lift us forward and open our eyes. All these things we are desperate for God to do. 
And so we're going to pray for a few moments, and then I'm going to come back and refocus us. And so I understand that this is different than maybe what you're used to. If you're a visitor here, you're like, maybe this is a little different uh, than what you expected to walk in this morning. And I know maybe a, a prayer service, the first service of 2020, may be a little awkward for you. And I understand as a pastor, it's super risky. And I think it's risky probably for two reasons. And I think it's risky because I know that some of you in here are not believers. I know that some of you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ and maybe a friend brought you or you were tricked into coming here or, or, or maybe, uh, maybe you just showed up here, you not know why. And so to devote a portion, of, a large portion of our service to just simply sitting in the presence of God, the praying would probably be awkward for you. But, but this is what I would tell you. This is what I would encourage you. If you're not a believer in this place, this is what I would say. I would hope that what you witnessed this morning is men and women in all of their imperfections, being known of all of their shortcomings, being fully aware of all of our hypocrisies, amen? amen. Being known fully that we are short and not complete, that we are broken, and that we yet earnestly pray to a God who hears us, comes to us, and receives us by his grace, not by anything we are or what we've done. And as you witness broken, imperfect people coming to a perfect God, I hope that you would see the heart of God running back to us. And so we earnestly and completely believe that God hears us. We earnestly believe that he, he comes to us and that he loves it when his children pray to him. He loves it. It's how we glorify him. And so if you're a Christian... I'm going to ask you to pray. And if you're not a Christian, I'm going to invite you not to just watch us pray, but maybe for the first time in your life, you call out in desperation. Maybe today, if you're not a believer in this place, you would, you would say, you know what, I've never, I've never admitted that I was desperate. I've never asked the Lord to save me. I've never admitted my shortcomings before a holy, perfect God. And so I would just simply ask, not for you just to watch, but I would invite you to enter in. Maybe for the first time to confess your sins. The Bible says that when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Amen? And because of the cross, because he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we can have this relationship with God. In all of our fears and all of our failures that God hears us and he delights when we call upon him. And I believe the second reason why it's really risky is because we have in this place what, what we refer to as, as cultural Christians. What I mean by that is, is people who would self-identify as a Christian but you don't have a relationship with God. And so for me to stand up here and tell you in just a few minutes we're going to take a portion of time and we're going to ask you to talk to God... I'm going to ask you to talk to someone who you, on the outside, say you have a relationship with, but on the inside, you really don't. And so, so either, either you're a cultural Christian because at some point you, 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 you grew up in a Christian home, or, or you grew up conservative, or, or someone asked you somewhere down the line if you wanted to go to heaven or burn in hell, and you chose plan A. You raised your hand, came down front, got wet, whatever it was. 
And ever since that time, you just, you just identify as a Christian, but really there is no relationship between you and God. And I know cultural Christians most of the time just want to be entertained. They want me to dance for you. Nobody wants that. <laughs> but most of the time, I mean, we just want to, we want to, we want to be entertained. We want to be engaged. We want to be funny and witty. And, and we, want to, we want to walk out of here and say, hey, that was a great time. But, but listen to me. I, I would encourage you that if you find yourself in these next few moments as we're praying, as we're seeking the Lord, as we're asking God, as we're admitting to God that we're desperate and apart from him, we could do nothing. And you find yourself bored in that moment and you call yourself a Christian. My question is to you then, why do you think you're so bored? To do the very thing that God asks of us to come to him when we're weary and broken and heavy laden and that he would give us rest and that he would hear us and he would not forsake us. Why is it that doing the one thing that's supposed to encourage and infuse and and light up our hearts for him is so difficult? I would say today you would need to wrestle with God and lay yourself bare before him and be honest that you truly need and want a relationship with him. And so when it's all said and done, God calls us to rest in him, to be desperate for him, and to cry out for him. So with the first service of this new year, I want to together call upon Christ, who is strong, who is kind, and apart from him, We can do nothing. I want to devote this year to become a desperate people who ask and abide. Ask and abide. And so will you pray with me? Lord, We are your people. We want you. We desperately need you. And we know, apart from you, we can do nothing. Your word tells us that the people of God do not want to move if you do not move. Yet your word promises that you will always, always be with us. Always hear us when we cry from our hearts. Lord, today, do not turn your face from us but in and through Christ come. Holy Spirit, come. Bring us to that place of desperation. Bring us to that place of want and need for you as a good and strong, kind provider. Lord, we do not come to you on our own good behaviors or religious actions. We come to you in the shadow of a blood-wrenched cross. We come to you 
with the realization that the tomb is empty and you hear us and you stand before us and you intercede for your children. You say, ask. So now, here we are, LifePoint Church, your people, asking, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Take a moment and pray for your own heart. Pray for your own mind. Pray for your own soul. Pray for maybe more desperation in your life. And pray for those around you, friends and family, neighbors who may be far from God. Pray that our city would see their great need, a great need that is not filled by anything of this world, but, but the one who created it. So pray for those loved ones that you too know are desperate. Take a moment now and pray for our church. Pray for us as a body in unity. Pray that God would somehow empower us or favor us to make an impact in our city, in our county, in this state, and throughout the world for his great name. Pray that we would not make a name for the church, but the name of the one who is over the church, that is Jesus. Pray for our church right now that we would acknowledge our desperation before him.
Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to show us our great need for you. That would show us a great need for your heart. Show us that apart from you, we can do nothing. Let us continue to lean not on our own standing, but in all of our ways, acknowledge you. And that you would make our path straight. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Have you ever come to the realization that God wrote a book? That his words were written for you and I to see who he is, what he is, how he operates, the nature and the character of God. It's almost, it's almost too good to be true. That God would write a book to us. It's like one of the greatest wonders in all of the universe. And yet many of us, we have many Bibles. Many translations, we have it on our computers and on our phones. It's like we can access the word of God at any time. Yet, how often do we anticipate, marvel, or wonder at the fact that God wrote me a book and he saw to it that it would, it would sustain from generation to generation. It says in the Bible, it says in his word that his words will never pass away, that they are stay the same yesterday, today, and forever, and they will sustain for all of eternity, that God has revealed himself through the prophets and the apostles like we have his words. He wants to show us. He wants to speak to our very souls with his very voice through his spirit in this book. And here's what I know is that at the beginning of years like this, a lot of us say, you know what, I need to read more. We need to hear more. We need to listen more because God's voice is speaking and moving and changing and it shapes us and it molds us and it does something in us and it does something through us and it does something for us because these are the words of God. And I know this, that the more we dig into this book, the more we meditate, the more we feast, the more we drink in the very voice of God himself, the, as we see the awe, and we see the promises, and we see the power, and we see the sovereignty of God, you will quickly realize that you are not the author of your story either, that you are desperate you will soon realize that your story is not an autobiography in which you are writing. Your story is an autobiography that has been written in wisdom and grace by God. And that he orchestrates every bump and every turn in your story is right. And every twist and plot change, it is good. And every new character that comes into your life is every unexpected event is a tool of his grace. Every new chapter of your life is for his purpose, your joy, and his glory. God wants to make himself known through his words and through his people. Through God's word. He teaches us trust. He teaches us patience. He teaches us how to wait on him, even in the unknown. Amen? 
Even though we don't know what tomorrow holds, we hear his voice, we wait upon him, we cling to his word because he wrote a book to us and he's writing your life. And by his words, like the video says, he wakens the dead. Through his word, it loosens the bondage of sin. It unshackles us from the things that rob us from life. God's word comforts the depressed, inspires the discouraged. It guides the confused. God's word satisfies completely and forever. And he does so because he gave us a book. And it doesn't need to sit on a shelf like it's a dead end. It is the means of life. And so this year, we're going to pause and we're going to pray that you and I would be a people to be a church that would spend every moment we possibly can hungering for his word, hungering for the life that is in this book, looking more, gazing more, feasting more upon the word of God. Let us pursue this word like we pursue any and every, every pleasure, but with more capacity, with more enthusiasm, with more heart that we would pursue like, 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 like a hunter that, that needs to feed his family with this hunt, and he's stalking, he's looking. May we stalk and look for joy in his words. Let me read to you Psalm 19, 7 through 11, speaking of the word of God. May we see the word of God like this. And in just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to open our hearts and our minds so that we would see the word of God this way. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I pray that when we read the word, our hearts will rejoice. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and it is enlightening to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, and it is enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Oh, let us receive that. That the word of God is, is more valuable and more desired than gold or a paycheck or a tax return or a bonus or anything that this world has. Your word is more precious than gold, even fine gold. And your word is sweeter than honey and your word is drippings like honeycomb. Moreover, by your word, your servant is worn in keeping them. There is a great, great, great reward when we come to know that God himself is indeed the greatest reward is there anything better that we could pursue is there anything more life-giving that we could chase he is in the word let us pray together
Oh God, this morning, let us be a people who are desperate, desperate for your word. We confess with our mouths that your word is true and it is life. It is your voice. It is your direction. It is your call. It is your grace. Your word is. But God, let that sink in my heart. Let us run nowhere for comfort outside of your word. When we counsel friends or encourage loved ones, let us be men and women of your word. You alone have the words of life. Where else would we go? We need your word. Let us crave it, hunger for it, thirst after it. God, would you use your word to speak. Holy Spirit, come. Let us be a people who is satisfied by your words and your book and let us see your glory in all of it. Right now, pray for yourself that other things would not taste so pure, that other things would not taste so sweet in comparison. Pray that you would desire the word above and beyond anything else in this life. Pray now for those around you, friends or family, co-workers or neighbors. Pray that God would use you to maybe speak his word with boldness, with courage, trusting that his word never returns void, but fulfills the promises of God. Pray for those doors. Pray for those opportunities. Pray that we would be ready, armed with his word.
pray now for our church. That every ministry and every thought and everything would be rooted and centered in the Word of God. We not pursue any, anything outside of it. As a church, we want to trust it completely, stand on it fully. So pray for our church that we would be men and women of the Word. Psalmist says, I have hidden your word within my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, great God, we desire to be a people of the word who would trust fully in your word, that would seek after your word, that we would not neglect but rightly handle your word, for we know that from it and through it you speak. Holy Spirit, open our minds and our eyes and our hearts. Remove the veil so that when we read your word, we would see Jesus. Let your light that shines out of the darkness shine within our hearts and reveal to us the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us cling to your word and your promises within, for your word stands forever. In Jesus' name, amen. One last portion I want to bring to your attention is found in 2 Chronicles 17. In 2 Chronicles 17, we read that a new king is given to God's people and uh, the king goes by the name of Jehoshaphat. Go ahead and say that. Jehoshaphat. How would you like to be called Jehoshaphat? That's a weird name. It says that Jehoshaphat, he sought after God. It says that he walked in his ways. In 2 Chronicles 17.6, it says that his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And what happens a few chapters later in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it tells us that the Moabites and the Ammonites, they came against Jehoshaphat with a great battle, with a great number. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in verse 3, it says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. What do you do when you're afraid? It says that he set his face to seek the Lord. 
and proclaimed a fast, a prayer, a fasting prayer throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from who? Not the king, the Lord. To seek help from the Lord, from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. In verse 12, it says, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Have you ever felt powerless? I know you've got plans for 2020, but there may come a moment, I guarantee there will come a moment where you will find yourself powerless. Oh God, we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. But, what's it saying? But our eyes are on you. Oh God, we are powerless. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Look in verse 15. And he said, listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites And the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness. And when they came and they went, and Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his word. Believe the prophets, and you will succeed. Verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. As the bad comes, I want you to see this. I want you to see what's happening here. So what's happening is God said, no, 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 this is my fight. The people say, I'm afraid, I don't know what to do, and God comforts them and says, this, this is my fight. I will give you victory. And the king, trusting in the Lord, what does he decide to do? It says that he decides to put the choir at the front. The king looks, and he says, okay, we're going to win this battle With singing. Look at verse 21. It says, He appointed those who were to sing and praise Him in holy attire. They went before the army. 
Is that not amazing that God said, let's put the choir out front. Let them go first. Give thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now look at what happens in verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. Singing is not just a response of grace. Singing is a means of grace. When we sing to the Lord, singing has power. It has power because we're proclaiming and acknowledging that this victory, it belongs to God and that he's won. I believe that when we sing praises to the Lord, the Holy Spirit does something. Amen? It stirs us. It empowers us. It brings a confidence to us because the battle is won in Jesus Christ. I believe that when we sing praises to the Lord, that God moves his hand. When people trust the battle to the Lord and sing and praise, it says the enemy is routed and the enemy is destroyed. When Paul and Silas found themselves in prison, what did they do? They prayed and they praised God, and the walls of the cells shook despite their chains. And so, what I want to bring to our hearts and our minds today is this year moving forward that there is power when God's people sing, that there is power when God's people praise. And so no matter the armies, no matter the walls that come against us in 2020, there is power in praising the victory belongs to him. There is victory in Christ for every believer. And so today we will end by singing and praising our God. Have you ever heard the missionary and the martyr Jim Elliott? You ever hear that? I think they made a movie in 2005 called End of the Spear. Jim Elliott had a great passion and a call from God to reach the Indians of Ecuador. And on January 8th, 1956, Jim and four others that were there, they were standing on a riverbank, it says. And they were waiting to see if the Alka Indians would come out, and, and they were hoping to share the gospel with them. That's why they're there. And, and it says in, in, in his wife's Elizabeth book that the last report that they had given before they crossed the river is that they were all singing. They were all praising the Lord right before they entered into the water. And, and listen to the, the hymn that they sang. It goes like this. It says, we go forth in faith, our great weakness feeling, and needing more each day thy grace to know, yet from our hearts a song of triumph feeling, we rest on thee, and in thy name we go. Praising God. 
the report is that by 4.30 that evening, they were all killed. They were killed by the Indians that they came to share Jesus with. Now listen, because I believe that God protected them. dead how did God protect them I believe that God protected them from unbelief I believe that God protected them from fear that God protected them from cowardness I believe that God protected them from living a mundane, meaningless life. I believe that God protected them from being consumed by temporary comforts of this world. I believe that God protected them from believing a lie that says someone else will reach the lost. Someone else will reach your neighbor. Someone else will reach the the neighborhood. Someone else will reach Ecuador. I believe God protected them From apathy, I believe God protected them from complacency. I believe God protected them from believing the lies of the enemy. Instead, they came to know the truth that God wants to use ordinary men and women who are empowered by the Spirit of God to go and to sing and to praise and pray and proclaim the Word of God to those who do not know, to those who have never heard. So that in our lives and in our worlds and across the earth for all of generation that more would come to hear of the great saving work of Jesus Christ. This year we're devoting ourselves to something called who's your one, praying for one, asking God for one, believing God for one, encouraging one, going after one. And so as a body, I want us to sing. And I want us to pray. And I want us to be in his word. And I want us to to refuse, to refuse to sit idly by pursuing pleasures of this life when God offers more. When God offers us an opportunity to really live. I pray that we would stand and sing and know that the victory is his. And he gives us three weapons to fight. Prayer, the word of God, and song. And singing. When we don't know what else to do, we will sing. When we don't know where else to go, we will sing. When we feel surrounded, we will sing. Because the victory is God's. And so I want to close today as the first service of this year. And I want each of us to turn our face to the Lord. Be reminded of his word. Pray his word. Sing his word. Praise him for his word. Because he is a victorious God. Amen. He is a good God. Would you just stand with me right where you are? Holy Father, we come to you. 
and praise you and thank you and turn our face towards you and cling to your word that is before us today. And we praise and we sing and we proclaim that this is not our fight. This is not our battle. But we completely and desperately need you. We want you. We want to lift you high and praise your name forevermore. Let us be a church that constantly seeks you first, puts you first, cries out to you first, and praises you first for every blessing and every turn and every trial and every suffering and everything that may come our way. You are good. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the power and the promise of eternal life in your name. And today we sing because of it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.